Welcome back to a brand new episode of Learning As I Go. My name is Scott Thomas and today I'm joined by a very old friend and a friend of the family, Mr. Kelvin Fletcher. So you might recognize Kelvin as Andy Sugden from Emmerdale, which he starred in for over 20 years. But wow, since then he's gone on to achieve some huge milestones. From being a champion rally car racer, driver, to winning Strictly Come Dancing, to appearing in the National Theatre and multiple TV dramas, he has had an incredible career. And not only that, he's just set up his own farm and done a whole documentary about it. You will not be disappointed, so please get ready to learn another life lesson as we go. And here is Kelvin Fletcher. Right, so I cannot believe it. I finally got my big signing to my podcast, Mr. Calvin Fletcher. Thank you for being here, brother. Scott, as you can tell, the beam on my face, it's good to be here. I know, man. I'm smiling already. It's good to be here. Like, literally, you are what I call a wonder boy. Like, anything you kind of apply yourself to, you can do. I always compare Richard Fleishman to a wonder boy as well, because he's very similar to that. But literally, like, what's gone on over the last five years? Where's this all come from? Thanks, lovely introduction, uh, yeah. uh, Scott. I wish no. it was as all as plain sailing as that. There are like the highlight reel. Yeah. And uh, as I'm sure anybody out there will know, there's, there's, I've, I've certainly had, and I will probably continue to have more failings than I do successes. And that's 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 an integral part of, I think, anyone's 100%. life. But uh, it's funny as well how you mentioned the Fleish, you know, Richard Fleishman. You and I are both absolutely obsessed with that man. <laughs> I wanted to watch a few of your videos last night just to kind of refresh myself of your, yeah. of your, you know, your style and um, <laughs> what, what, to, what to wear as well. <laughs> Not worn this jumper before. It's a new one. So I've got, to, I've got to at least make an effort and look He's all right. He's coming character. He had his check. He had his check shirt on as well. I mean, I didn't have a shave. I had the school run this morning. I had four miles to feet. But um, and and Richard Fleishman. I almost feel like saying, let's not do an interview. Just rerun his. If anyone's not seen me do an interview, just watch his because he says everything that I'd ever want to say. The way he articulates himself. We've had very similar. Career pass. It's funny. I was. I know Felice really well, like you. And I was watching, thinking, we, are we the same person here? Oh my god, yeah. And I think that's really as well testament to the way you conducted that interview. I thought you were so good. And for somebody who knows him so well, I still learned so much about him, about the industry, about mm. an industry that I'm involved in. Mm. So yeah, it's funny the things that you mentioned. That I've had quite a varied, certainly but a varied you, last few years. You started Emmerdale at the age of 13, very similar to Rick and, and Corey, right? Yeah, he was obviously a lot, quite a bit younger than me. But that kind of journey from being you know, dare I say it, but a child star and then developing, going through your adolescence, becoming a young man, you know, you're learning about life, you're learning about yourself mm. in the eyes of, of millions every single night. So there are a lot of kind of, you feel quite vulnerable. Thankfully, like great protection, great family and mm. friends. But outside of that, you know, there's every reason for me to become really affected mm. because of that much kind of at your feet at such a young age. Just to put that into context though, I remember when you got that part on Emmerdale, it was such a big thing because you were a local lad. And I actually think you went to the same drama school as Ryan, a lot of up and coming talent, was David yep. Johnston, which I know he did a really nice tribute to on your socials. Yeah. So it was a big thing back then. And you were probably one of the first young local lads who got a big opportunity on a platform like Emmerdale. And people kind of forget, like back then there was no reality TV or anything. Like these shows were just huge. It was massive um, viewing figures. Do you remember that moment as a, as a child, like sort of taking that in? Um, I do, yeah, quite quite a bit really. Um, it was, yeah, just like you say, a big a big moment. I was a a budding child actor, so I got into drama, Oldham Theatre Workshop, at the age of like I don't know six or seven, so really really young, with no aspirations to be an actor. It was just something to do. Mm. I lived in Oldham at the time. Lived in a place called Durka, and. Um, it was just like you play football or play rugby. It was just this drama group that you went to. And again, I say with no aspirations to be an actor, and I think that was that's quite important because I think what I learned studying performing arts, improvisations, it's all centered around confidence. It's all centered around humility and, and, and having consideration for others because no, in no other scenario, as certainly as a child, are you faced with such diverse group of people. Mm. 
So not only if normally at school, you're only going to be hanging around with your peers and your peers are more than likely, in my experience, other young boys, mm-hmm. same age. But suddenly at drama, at London Theatre Workshop, I'd be sat doing a scene or talking to the girl who's 16 mm. and the boy who I wouldn't normally speak to at school because he's like the cool guy and I'm the bit of the geeky guy. And suddenly we're all one. It's a real leveller. Right. And I just thought that was so invaluable. And I always kind of encourage any, any young person now that performing arts in some capacity is an absolute necessity because it builds your confidence, it builds your awareness mm. and you become so accepting of different backgrounds because there's such a mixture of people and you all share that same passion mm. and you can take those kind of skill sets and those lessons into every every other part of your life as a young adult and it's invaluable. I think that's, now it's just by coincidence or maybe that was the catalyst that I found a love for this, mm. that it became much more than that. It then became quickly a passion and all I could see myself doing was that. And, you know, going through my kind of, I had a pretty good schooling where I went to a normal comprehensive school, but I, was, I wasn't the most academic, but I was, my work ethic was, even from a young kid was pretty exceptional, you mm. know, um, and I wanted to kind of do my best at everything I did. Mm. I knew what my weaknesses were, but at the same time, that never kind of discouraged me. You know, my, my gradings were always, they'd be the odd A, but mostly B's, C's, maybe mm. D's, and my efforts were absolutely always one, you know, one to five, however it was graded. And that was the one thing with me that I'd, I'd try my best at sport. I wasn't the greatest. I wasn't gifted, you know, genetically. Mm. I was tiny. I was a little small, but I was the keenest tackler into rugby. I was, you know, whatever I did, I tried my absolute best. And but where, where did that drive come from then? Like, was it instant? Because I feel like in school I had that as well and I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was because I felt like I had something to prove from an early age or I did it for praise or for love. Because I feel like my, if I talk to my therapist, they'll go back like, because your dad wasn't always around, mm. you were always looking for love. So maybe I did that for you working hard and therefore to get praise. But for you, like, where did that drive come from to always put your, your all into everything? Yeah, good question, actually. I could probably do with a therapist. Yeah. Probably, isn't it? This is a therapy session, <laughs> well, it is, isn't it? Let's yeah. go back. I'll be we'll crying in deep. a minute. Um, I, think, I, I think for me, I always feel like I've had this underdog tag and I quite like it. And it's something that I've grown to kind of accept and, and, and use really and, and let it kind of, galvanize me, give, mm. give me that belief, give me that self-belief. Even at times now as an actor, it feels very lonely. At times it feels like you're the, you're the only person who believes in, in you. Mm. You have to believe in yourself when it feels that like others don't. And there's some great examples as we'll probably get into throughout my career where mm. that has been so key. Mm. So yeah, in those early stages, I just think, I just felt like I was a bit of an underdog and I just wanted to always prove people wrong. I'd started Emma, I think I had the least attendance in secondary school. Again, a comprehensive school in North Chatterton. And I was filming in a professional TV you know, setting. I was expected to kind of be there on time, know my lines, work mostly with adults, mm. but I was still a minor. I was still treated like a kid in mm. some respects. And then, you know, in some mornings, I'd be on the motorway at 6.30 in the morning. I'd be on set by 7.38, doing scenes with some big established TV stars, you know, with pretty challenging uh, material as a young actor, mm-hmm. my character was really, really troubled. So I'd be, I'd be doing these big, big scenes, a lot of storylines centered around me. So I had a lot of pressure on my shoulders. I, I didn't kind of feel that. I was more just delighted that the program would give me this sort of opportunity. And then by the afternoon, I'd be in the playground back with the kids again. As, and and I, don't, I didn't want any mention of Emmerdale. I just wanted to be a normal kid. Mm. But I was always expected because I was hardly in school. And I was I had such so many distractions that he won't do well, you know, he won't do this, he won't right. do that, and that was for me was always the driving force. I'll show you, yeah, and 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 maybe that's wrong. Maybe you know you should never want to prove to yourself, but I had this mm. constant thing where I always wanted to prove to others that that I can do this, because ultimately when you know it's funny when people say you know you you won you know you won trick the whole you did whatever, and I'm like, yeah. But the thing that shines through with you, Kelvin, is that you are just a normal lad and you are a lad's lad as well. Like you've always been knocked around with the rugby boys as well and had a bit of that rugby banter as well. And I remember that. But then, like you said before, you've thrown into this kind of acting world, which can sometimes be a little bit of a thespian world in terms of everything else. How did you kind of, like, I don't know, manage being like a lad's lad in a world that some people might have looked at as a little bit kind of arty and everything Mm. else? How did you kind of... Was that important for you to be that person? I, yeah, that's a really good point, that. In my experience, the most laddie lads are the most open, the mm. most aware, the most accepting of mm. different sexualities or whatever it might be. Ah, and okay. that's the irony. That's the thing that people probably don't expect. You know, so yeah, first of all, yeah. I am a real, you know, raw, I won't, you know, I'm not an alpha male. I don't yeah. want to be an alpha male. I know who, exactly who I am mm. and I know the company I keep. 
but they're all decent. Yeah, we can be a little bit loose. So, you know, maybe years <laughs> gone by and I was always that guy with his, never got his clothes on that. <laughs> and that's not me just saying, oh, I'll work out. It was just more of, it's, it's oh. just a statement of just inhibition and it's just like, anyway, but what it kind of... Really, let me put that into context, right? On any night out with Kelvin, for some reason, Let's he not. used to end up in his boxes in the middle of the bar. I remember in Leeds, oh, was that one of my yeah, nights one night? Yeah. It was just a dead normal night. Everyone was just looking really civilized. He turned around and Kelvin's just stood there in his boxes having a bite. And this is the same guy that I had to pull you to one side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, up in there. No, I think it was... Um, so, yeah, I, I felt... And that was, again, going back to why I think it was absolutely invaluable having drama from being a kid. Because I was used to seeing... I was a bit of a camp kid myself anyway. Mm. But, you know, for, for me, I was faced with, with people from different sexual orientation, whatever it might be, from a young age. And it was absolutely known because you take people at face value. Mm. Well, you know, whether that, however they want to event, identify, whatever it is, whatever their story is, then, then mm. that's fine. But, you know, there's kind of, there's two types of people. There's, and, and, that, and that's that. And whatever, however the person that, that, that uh, tends to be, male, female, young old, whatever it is, then so be it. But ultimately, mm. you know, you can kind of judge from 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 face value, really. Mm. So I always felt that was was a, a real strength, really. And, and like I say, in my experience, the most laddish of lads have been the most accepted and always yeah. the most aware and, and the most, I guess, most rounded. Yeah, that makes sense. So you actually um, starred in Emmerdale for 20 years, right? How did you see the TV industry change over that time? Because like I said, back in the day, it was just soaps, really. There was only like four or five channels. Like, how did you see everything evolve? You must have seen every sort of stage of that. And how did you notice times begin to change a little bit? There had been a lot of change. You know, linear TV was was kind of the only thing. And, and for, I even saw it when Channel 5 was was kind of brought out, you mm -hmm. know, so it became the fifth channel. And yeah, viewing figures back then, and you look at the spot, you know, when most people at home watching TV is you're between 7 and 8, 7 and 9 p.m. And that's when your soaps are. So what soaps are, regardless of, you know, that sometimes the bad press they get, but certainly what they were, they're an absolute institution, you know, and, and they are, their purpose as a serial drama is to reflect real life and, and, and allow for some sort of escapism. Reality in a sense that what's maybe going on in your life, good or bad, is, is replicated on screen as well. And, and it's there to learn, it's there to educate, it's there to kind of make people feel that I'm not alone. You know, yes, it's fictional. Yes, it's made up. We're actors, but that's the purpose. And I think that's the great responsibility of soaps and serial drama. Thus why... They're an absolute bedrock of British TV. They have been for many years from mm. the you know, inception of Coronation Street and, and others. And I hope they will for many years to come. You know, and, and I'm the most proud to, to have been a part of that. Mm. Annoyingly within the industry, it's it's not the case. You know, it's somewhat there's still a real snobbery about it, as uh, Fleish alluded to as well. And, and that's something that that, I, that really grates on me. But it is what it is. You accept that and you try and navigate at times I've even navigated away from that to mm. try and be, you know, seen as a as a proper actor. Mm. You know, but the the landscape of TV changed massively. Viewing figures back then could have easily been, I think 20 million was, you know, they've been, I think it was consistently 14, 15 million during the years I was in it. And then probably, you know, down to about maybe nine or 10 when I left. And now with the way TV has changed, you're probably maybe six or seven, so mm. something like that. So th I still think they pack as big a punch, they're as powerful. But I think the big change of point for me was, was when I started to think about leaving. That was the dawn of Netflix. TV, at, at, you know, um, subscription-based platforms had come out. The whole nature, the whole business model of TV had changed. And therefore, it was just a, for creatives, for actors, there was much more opportunity. Mm. And I also, that coupled with artistically, I felt like I was coming at an age where I was, I had more to give. And it was probably, yeah, when, when was, it was about your two-year process, but I'd say maybe 2013, 2014. Obviously, we'd just come out of the recession in 2008. And think there was a real buoyancy about the industry, and that's when I kind of recognised as a thirty-year-old adult, okay, I'm I'm ready for the next step, and mm. and I think now's my opportunity. And which must have been daunting to make that step. Before we get to that, do you know, just you touched on it then, um, like soaps are kind of telling real life stories. One thing I always look at with you is that you don't seem to have kind of, from uh, a public perception, kind of stepped a foot wrong during during your career of what I can remember because I remember with Ryan there was always some kind of drama or something but obviously there must have been like what was a moment in your life where you were personally going through something and being in a public eye affected that does that make sense in mm. terms of was there like a dark moment at some point oh of course yeah, yeah. you know through through you know I'm a human being and, yeah. and I've made many mistakes and mm. there's many things that I look back and think oh you know mm. I've got that wrong I probably wish I didn't do that or say that 
as we all have, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's important to look back and reflect. But I think what was a little bit harder for Ryan is because he had very much more of the spotlight. Emmerdale back then, whether I agree or disagree, <laughs> was, like the ugly, it was like the ugly cousin. Right. It wasn't, it didn't get all the tabloids. It didn't, it didn't quite have the buzz about it. Right. Part of that, I don't think Leeds as a city, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, a group, accepted it quite. Manchester was proud of Coronation Street. They just came hand in hand. And I think that helped it. Manchester was maybe seen as a little bit cooler. You know, early 2000s we're talking now. And it's like the place to be. And I just felt that the, the, the Emmerdale, the Leeds, that was just seen as like a, what right. we do on TV, we might get as many awards or do whatever, but ultimately just the, the kudos mm. wasn't quite there. And then the, you look at the cast and you look at Ryan and, and, and Brian, there was a whole host of young, amazingly talented, beautiful, confident, just cool kids mm. who were out there. And I think Ryan had it tough, really, because everything he did was in the, was in the papers, yeah. you know, in the public eye. And I kind of was always on the on the. I was probably doing the same stuff as him, right? But never it, it never made it ah, okay. to people's minds because I wasn't cool enough, I wasn't famous enough, or whatever it was. I wasn't quite in the same spotlight. I was doing the same job, mm. you know. And um, so I think I maybe had it a little bit easier there. But don't get me wrong, there has been there was certain episodes, you know, you go into a bar as a young lad. And you're a bit of a target. Mm. And with me, my background, the person I, I am, uh, the company I keep, I didn't want to go to a cocktail bar and pay 10 pounds a drink, you know. I wanted to go to Weatherspoons. That's where I felt most comfortable. In doing that, I'm just asking for, for trouble. <laughs> but I'm kind of thinking, well, the fact that I'm in here should kind of say- I'm one of the people. I'm just not yeah. really bothered. I'm just yeah. come here for a pint. But it didn't. Right. And, uh, and I was too, stubborn to give up what I wanted to do. So I'd openly walk into the fire mm. and think, well, if it's coming, it's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. Mm. But you know, I'm here for the right reasons. And, and you know, so many times I've got in situations that I didn't need to go looking back. Mm. Kelvin, just go, don't bring it onto yourself. And, and uh, do you feel like you were almost standing up for actors and were you kind of basically saying, listen, I'm a normal lad here, I'm a good actor, but I still like to go to local places and live my life. Were you kind of trying to Fight that flag a little bit, maybe. Yeah, I, I think I was, and foolishly as well. Yeah, you know, again, going through your young years, your, your late teens, early twenties. Mm. What, what have I got to prove? Why yeah. have I got to go and keep proving that? Always to my detriment. Mm. You know, I've been in those situations where something has happened, and and um, it's me that's got more nine times something to lose. Yeah, it's me that, that they'll call the police on me or whatever it might. You yeah. know, whatever it is, the situation is, and and it's always like, what did I? I've gone to try and prove myself against somebody who just turned out to be the. So they were they weren't proclaiming to be. So whatever it might be, it was just I think it was really tough to grow up on TV because that's what you were doing. You were growing up. Yeah, on yeah. TV, I was. I, was I think I'm, you know I was having my first kiss. Yeah. On TV. No way. Maybe when I've not kissed anybody myself. You wow. know, you're going through all those emotions and changes. Is that it, actually did that actually happen? One of your first kisses. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty active as a young. Not in that sense. I was, you know, um, but you know, I, I mean, Liz, my wife, she was one of my first kisses. We we're probably eight, nine years old I know. in real life, you know. Yeah. But but I, I, what, what, it, what I will say, I think I went through a child pregnancy. I think I got somebody pregnant on screen. Wow. Probably before I'd, well, I know before yeah. I'd even yeah. lost my virginity. Wow. So you're going through massive moments. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being potentially sent to prison. Kelvin had never been sent to, you know. So suddenly you're going through things as an, as a young boy, as an actor. And I'm on this journey of discovery myself anyway. So how can I portray that emotion, that feeling of whatever it is for that fictional character if I haven't experienced it myself? You know, it's, it's a real guess. Wow. You're guessing really. Okay. There's a lot of pressure on your shoulders there. And I guess that's the challenge and that's the, the art of, of mm. the skill of, of, of an actor really. And um, yeah, so many times I'd kind of done things on screen that I'd not actually done in, in real life. That's mad. But one thing I will say though, and I don't know if you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like you were always quite savvy when you were on screen in terms of like, you always were an actor, but it always felt like you had other things going on. I don't know if I'm right or wrong here. Did you get involved in property and cars? And you just seem to have an identity of your own, which I feel like, and passions outside of acting. That's what I'm trying to touch on. Like, for example, you've always loved cars. And am I right? Did you get involved in property or you've, yeah, always, yeah. you've always had a bit of a... A savviness around that. I think for two two reasons. First and foremost, it was I think I'm naturally quite inquisitive anyway, and I think that was just something in, in my character mm. that you know I, I I loved acting. Don't get me wrong, and it was a huge passion, but it wasn't everything. Mm. Uh, it wasn't who I was. I'm, I was much more than that. And at times we feel in any domain, but certainly in acting, you feel like you have to just 
I'm an actor. I'm all I want to do is act, mm. and that'll further my career. And I'm like, well, no, I, I want to do other stuff as well. Mm. And and the feeling is, or the assumption was that you kind of look down upon that. Oh, you don't want it as much as me. He's not as ah. ambitious as me. They don't want this part as much as me. And I'm like, I, I do, but I I recognise there's there's more to life than just that. Mm. So I was I had big big interest in other things, and then. As my, kind of my teenage years, I was always very aware. I was mostly working with adults. So in an in a adult workspace as a child, you can do one or two things. You can switch off. There was no, maybe there was a Game Boy back then, but probably kids now would be on the phone. You can switch off and just be back into yourself. For me, I knew I was going to learn more being quiet and watching than, than being in myself. So I, I took that. So I'd, I would watch and listen for years and years and years. And I would see these adults, and it sounds daft to say, but as a young teenage lad I could kind of see oh I'm not going to do it like that and what I often saw was a little bit of bitterness and resentment to the industry to the job when things didn't go their way and inherently the industry you're at the mercy of other people's decisions mm. so if you're a bit of a control freak which maybe I am then it can be a little bit frustrating when you've not you've got this energy this passion this skill ready to go but you've not really got an output you only mm. get an output when you get the job or you get the scene or whatever it is so you can be quite frustrated and, and you've got to learn how to manage that because if not, you start to then look within and start to, oh, that person's got that job. I should have had that job, whatever it is. And I'd seen that so often. I'd seen people come and, and love the job. We always signed a year contract at Emmerdale. Yeah. Most people did. Maybe maybe Orion got a two-year deal, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but you know, it was, it was a year at a time and that's how I saw it. One year in and 19 years in, I saw it as a year job. Do you know what? I always remember that though. It's always like a, it was always like a bit of a celebration when anyone got the contract signed. People don't realise that they go, well, he's been here for 34 years, but yeah. it doesn't work like that. You don't get a 10 year contract. No, no, exactly. It rolls on. So you actually saw the fragility of the industry and therefore kind of diversified in your own way, like other stuff that you kind of just dabbled in. Is that right? Yeah, just, just for, for one to just secure myself after that, I then thought, well, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that when they say we're not going to, in January, the character's no longer. For that person to feel at like a complete loss that their life has come to an end. And I mm. saw it so often. Mm. And I almost wanted to say, there's so much more to life. And it sounds ignorant, mm. probably, and a little bit foolish. When that's all I ever knew. Mm. I never had a proper job. Mm. All I knew was Emmerdale. That's mm. all I ever did. But I weirdly just kind of knew that I had there was a bigger world out there. And it didn't scare me. And I wanted to embrace that. So I consciously, kind of in my late teens, started to kind of actively... Not necessarily get a backup as such, but allow my interests and passions to go elsewhere to give me something for my headspace and other outlooks. So when things didn't go my way, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go crazy. And two, to give me some financial independence to start just giving myself some grounding elsewhere. And whether that was property with cars or whatever it might be, I had so many random little businesses over the years. <laughs> uh, the majority of them failed, but you know, and I did quite well. And I was in a position where talk to me about one of the random businesses. Oh. Um, <laughs> Yeah, a port -loos at one point. <laughs> port um, yeah, wow. Uh, um, yeah, there was a, a, a nutrition thing that we had, security with Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few things, and at times we made some good money, at other times we, we, we didn't do so well. So yeah, it was it was um, just, uh, for me, I was I always felt like I had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. And I just liked the idea of stepping into a space, an unknown space, and see if I could make it, make it work. You know, that's, that's, that's the art of, of any business, of any business person self-employed you've got to grow and you've got to mm -hmm. make those mistakes even now mate i'm you know with a farm I, i'm, I'm yeah. doing a lot of i'm doing all of it myself because i want to i know the big mistakes i know i'm <laughs> gonna be making mistakes when you you say you should have just got somebody else to do that who knows what they're doing yeah but had they had done that and then we we get somewhere then i need to know from the ground up my ethos you need to know your business works whatever you want to do so i need to be over everything make the mistakes and then when it's at a certain point then you can pass on to the experts and bring them in but Ooh. first and foremost the foundations have got to be i've got to have that control i've got to do everything but talk to me about that you talked about stepping into the unknown like setting up a, your own farm and not only that then documenting it as well and putting it out there to the universe to watch your journey it's so bold and i just remember last time i spoke to you before i heard about this show you were going i'm talking to a few production companies i'm trying to pitch a few my ideas next thing you've got this farm you've got this new show coming like how did things escalate? Where did this love for farming come from? And was it connected to Emmerdale? Like, like where did this love for farming come from? No, no. <laughs> and so it's funny, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, I spent so long trying to lose that Emmerdale tag. <laughs> 
And then I go and buy a fan. But that's what most people do. <laughs> when you leave a soap, it's so um, yeah. difficult to move on from yeah, being yeah, typecast. I mean, yeah, Adam's yeah. seen it for ages and yeah, yeah. Ryan did as well. And you've literally just gone, I'm going to embrace it. Um, yeah. And you've set this farm. So t- talk me through the process. Well, I guess it goes back to leaving Emmerdale. You know, I'd, I'd like the industry had changed. I felt artistically I could go and deliver. I could go and do other characters here. I could go and do other genres, you know, different platforms, whether it be theatre, radio, TV, film. You know, naturally, as, as, as I've sat in cinemas and I've said to myself, one day I will be sat here watching my own film, Ooh. a film that I'm in, of that I've either directed or I'm in. It probably sounds really, but that was my visualization. You know, these are these things that everyone goes through. You have that moment and you can you can describe every... For me, I know exactly how it looks. I know how I'm feeling. I've just visualized it. And that's how I do with with everything. And there's nothing I've not achieved thus far that I've not visualized and I've not absolutely seen and genuinely or wholeheartedly believe that I've got the minerals and the skills to do that. Now, certain jobs, for instance, winning Strictly, you know... I believe I could win it in a sense of, you know, we all should all believe that you, not, not that I can win, but I believe that I can go out there and do my absolute best. Now, if that means someone voting for you, that's out of my control, but you can at least visualize it and dream about it. Call it what you will, you know, but, but and, and have that idea and that vision. And I've mm. done that. There's, like I said, there's been nothing that I've ever achieved from buying a farm to having your own documentary to being on your podcast. Mm, wow, that's just give, that's just give me that's just give me tingles like because the power of visualization. Sometimes I used to think it's kind of just a little bit of I don't know, just a little bit of magic stardust that people talk about, but literally if you do believe it and you get it's like a weird feeling when you actually believe it. You do get tingles like you said you you feel exactly how you're yeah. going to feel when you when others have that don't. Well, yeah. It's mostly when others don't. Yeah. And the ones closest to you, the ones that you can maybe give you the best Oof. advice, even then they'll say but then it's because, and it's a lonely road, I always say it, but if I believe I can do something, then there's, there's, I'm unwavering. And I'll pursue it and I'll fail if I fail. I have mm. failed many times, but I'd rather fail than regret never having a goal. So I don't mind failing, you see. I've not got a fear of failure because I've, I think I've, because I've done it so often mm. that it does not really bother me. And I, I understand that it's absolutely part of the process and there's always value in it. But what is a success in farming and what is a failure? Like, what is the goal with this whole farming experience that you, you bring into life? Um, good question. I'm not is sure. It, is it about kind of making the lifestyle work? Yeah, there is that. There's, there's all different elements. It, it didn't come to kind of, you know, so, so I was saying, go back to Emmerdale. <laughs> I, I decided to leave Emmerdale and then wanted to break a tag of, of being just that Andy Sugden. And, you know, so it was important that I, take, I took on roles that were going to show me in a different light, whether that's doing a different accent whatever it might be in a different genre, different setting, whatever it is. And and I'm very much feel like I've only just started that chapter. I left Emmerdale in 2016. I then, st- you know, I just got married. I'd, I'd, my, my daughter came into the world. So my whole life changed anyway. And again, I had a fullness where I should have had maybe a void. 20 years, having done something to stop doing it, naturally there's going to be a void there. There's going to be some sense of, of mm. loss. You know, when a, when a sportsman retires, they just don't know what to do, do they? Mm. And, and I could feel that. It was funny during those moments, I remember looking back, feeling sometimes a little bit lost at times. And there was a good friend of mine who just retired, having played rugby for 20 years. And he was a person that I was really able to chat to because we're both going through a similar sort of thing. He could really help me mm. because suddenly you, you feel like, have I lost my purpose? Have I lost my, where am I going? And, um, and thankfully I could fill that with my family and my life and discovering me, who I wanted to be and, and what I wanted to do in this next journey. And that was to be first of all, artistically to be fulfilled in different, you know, a Netflix or whatever it might be, a film or a national theatre debut, whatever it might be. And I was kind of on that journey. So I feel very, still very fresh as a jobbing actor. Mm. You know, I'm only four or five years in and I just feel like it's only just beginning. Shitley was like, wow, that was a one thing. And then it was this, this farming show and that all came about. We were actually set to move to California. So I'd, it was 2018, we'd spent about three or four months in, in LA and that was the beauty of, of not having a job, being being unemployed. Oh, I was doing the odd this. job here and there. Yeah. But I knew because obviously the way I'd been throughout my late teens and early 20s, I was I had some real financial independence. And I knew when I left Emmerdale, I didn't need to work for a while. And I had things set up where I could keep the same car, I could live in the same house. I'd have to be a little bit mindful, but things wouldn't change and, and, and I'm taking control back. So you didn't have that pressure then? to do something just for financial I did, ex- games. Exactly. There was the odd thing yeah. where I think, you know, it, it makes sense here to go and do a job for, you know, I think it was the thing of, of like pantomimes. Pantomimes, you can earn some, big you know, money, yeah. some, some really big money. And I was thinking, I don't want, or 
a reality show, for instance, so like a jungle or a big brother or something like that, again, you can financially do very, very well. Mm. But for me, I wanted to assert myself as an actor and coming from a soap, I'm already on the back foot. So if I go and do a show like that, I'm again on the back foot. Now I disagree with what it means because it doesn't make you a bad actor. Mm. You know, if you go onto the jungle or do whatever, you're still a good actor. You mm. could still, you know, make someone believe that you are playing a certain person, but the, thankfully it's changing now. But I think the British industry w was just kind of, wouldn't allow that. Mm. In America, it's different. You know, the biggest, the greatest example is currently with The Rock. He's the biggest movie star in the world. And he was a wrestler. He was a wrestler. And yeah. he's still proud of that and still mentions about that. You know, we would never allow maybe Holly Willoughby or some big presenter to be a big film star because oh, the, the audience won't be able to take that. <laughs> no, it'd be too much for the audience that mm. she is what she is and we like to pigeonhole and they've got a different thing over there. Mm. And, and um, so, yeah, it was um, for me, making some big changes, um, you know, led me to wanting to kind of go to California. We had the freedom of, we had a bit of financial independence. We had a young family and was like, right, come on, let's let's mix things up. Applied for our visas. That was like a year process. And then it was like to my agent, 2019 will be my last year here. I'm going to go away for a couple of years. First and foremost, as an actor, try it as, as in Hollywood. However foolish or naive that sounds. But again, <laughs> I was going over there thinking, yeah, you know, I've, I've got what it takes. I've got what it takes the self -belief. And, and the self-belief and, yeah. and, you know, uh, and I absolutely believe I have mm. and, and I'll take my family along with, you know, for, for the ride. And then Strictly came, came in, they asked me to go for an audition. This was like maybe June, July time. And, um, this is now the third time they've asked me to go and see me. So the first two times they didn't want me for whatever reason. First time I met them, I thought I was auditioning them. I got invited to the meeting with a producer, with the exec, and I'm thinking, right, well, you know, Kelvin, you know, well, do, I, do I want to do it? I just, I've been thinking I've been left them early a year or so. Like, do, do I want to do it? Of all, the, of all those types of shows, they're all great, but for me, that one, I in line with that one more than any. That was the only one I was willing Why to do. Why is that? Because it sort of, it involves a talent and a skill. No, not necessarily. I think just it has that real credibility. Okay. I, I used to love the show myself anyway, and I felt it was the safest of all those shows. And the irony, the funny thing is, it's the least paid. <laughs> You know, your jungle or a big, well, big brothers, yeah. your kid will know, is, is the highest paid. Mm. But you're going to do it, you potentially work your ass off for 14, 15 weeks. That's mad. For the money that. that, you know, is, mm. is, would be laughed upon on any other reality show. But it wasn't about the money. It was about what, and I used to watch that show and think, and not only that, you know, you've seen us in the nightclubs. I love music and I love to dance. Now, I've never had any dance training. I'm not a choreographed dancer, I can't really, but I know I've got, I knew I had rhythm and I knew people would not expect me to, to be able to dance the way I did. Mm. And I was just quite keen to kind of break that mold. And I, I thought that if I can go on there, yes, as myself, not as an actor, but if I go, go on there, I can break, quickly break a perception mm. and almost reinvent myself. So that was the, the reason why I wanted to do that show. And uh, they didn't want me. On, <laughs> halfway through this interview, I'm thinking, wait a minute, they're auditioning me here. I, I've not got the job. <laughs> they're going to decide. So I leave that meeting. I said to my agent, like, it's on them this, isn't it? He was like, yeah, I think so. I'm thinking, <laughs> I thought I was going to say, well, give me an hour, I'll decide. And, and all wrong. It wasn't, they didn't want me. So it's like, oh, you know, it was a little bit of a, um, wow. year two, they didn't want me as well. They asked me back, year three, they asked me back. And I'm thinking, why, what do you want to see me for? And I didn't get it. And I was like, right, that ship sailed. LA, it's definitely on six months. I'd never done a pantomime before. I thought we'll do a pantomime. We'll earn a bit of money. And let's just go live on the beach for two years. See what happens. Nobody knows me over there. I'll work in a cafe shop. And that was another thing. I wanted to just get a normal job. I just wanted to just just get a job and just graft and just do whatever. Why? Because I've never done it before. So who do I think I am that I can navigate through life and say, oh, you know, having never done that. So my dad used to joke to me, Kelvin, you've never had a proper job. You don't know what it's like. <laughs> and I was like, well, granted I don't, but I know I can handle it. Mm. And, and I'll go and prove it. So I just wanted to go there and just, just go for a different life. It just seems with you, there's a common theme that you just want to push yourself out of your comfort zone all the time. Like you're constantly challenging yourself. And I feel like I kind of relate to that in a way that if I'm not moving towards a goal or feel like I'm progressing in some way, I don't feel fulfilled or happy. But I feel mm. like you take it to a new level. Like some of the stuff that you've done, I would never even consider doing. Even moving to a different country, it's kind of out of my realm. Do you feel the same? Do you feel like through progressing or challenging yourself and coming out of your comfort zone, that's where you feel most fulfilled? Yeah. Absolutely, mm. you know, I'm most engaged and mm. most excited and mm. most alive is is when I'm Ooh, being life. challenged. You know, when I'm when I'm being uh, when I'm in new territory. Yes, it can be daunting, it can be a bit scary, but it's just you know, I don't believe life should be 
or roses and and, and happy and it, not necessarily happy. I should, should absolutely be happy, but be kind of smooth. plain sailing, mm. smooth. Yeah, you know, if the uh, if the mountain was smooth, you wouldn't be able to climb it, would you? Mm. And, and 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 adversity, change of direction, curveballs, nose. You know, a big thing for me. Many auditions I go for currently as an actor, you know, I don't get. So that's that's we all naturally reset as to think that's rejection. Well, no, for me it's redirection. It's just sending me on another path, and that's something I have to always remind myself, but affirm myself that life is not meant to be for for whatever reason for me someone's decided in my eyes it, it might not be as easy as i would maybe want it or think it should be but there's always a reason you know mm. looking back so i accept that i embrace that and if things are tough then so be it and i always feel like it builds a better character and it's just a journey isn't it mm. it's all about the journey and those times when not getting strictly for two years on the run going in still when they didn't want me but just to replace somebody else and then going winning it I'm sure that felt so much sweeter because of that two years of rejection yeah. or redirection, whatever you want to call it. So, and that's just been a, re a constant of my life where I've always kind of gone in and not as a standing as such, but just kind of through adversity, it's not been quite easy for me. And uh, it's just, Liz always says, my wife, you know, it's typical of you when things kind of go wrong, it's just like typical of you because it's never kind of the straightforward way. There's always. So it's like when you do get the opportunity, you let people know like what you're made of and what you're capable of. So what was it like then, that feeling of winning Strictly Come Dancing and sort of changing everyone's perception? How did that change your life or did it change your life? It did, yeah, in many ways. I mean, yeah, it was it was huge. It was a, it was a big kind of huge moment of, of significance. One, I guess for, for a couple of fronts. One is a career thing. There's massive opportunity that come on the back of that straightly, rightly or wrongly, you know. Weirdly as an actor, suddenly I'm in the room. I'm in, I'm in conversations that I wouldn't have been had I not done that show, possibly. That showed it made me a better actor. Mm. So what what's changed? And and I've gone mm. into people's mindsets, not as an actor. So why are now they thinking me as an actor for a certain role? It is what it is. You you take your opportunities. But I used to, I used to think to myself, in it just a bizarre industry. But the world is changing. Or the industry is definitely changing now. Where you are able to be more flexible in terms of it's about it's a lot of it's about the the profile and platform you've got yeah, now. Yeah, you're it's a product. Up, influencers have shown that. Yeah. And if you'd be fooled kind of not to play that game a little bit, which I think you've done in a really way. But let's get it right though. So you've done Strictly Come Dancing. You've got this amazing profile. But then next thing, I remember a couple, was it a couple of months ago or whatever? Like, didn't you have like two series on TV at the same time? Was There, there was a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And then what was the other one that was on as well? We were all sat around going, how is Kelvin running a farm He's done Strictly yeah, Come Dancing. I, I think it was. I think it was the, TV, the, the, the farming documentary and, and then a drama yeah. I've done in Budapest as well. I think we got the keys when we moved house. And I think a couple of weeks later, I flew to Budapest and did a, and did a little drama, yeah. A little it, drama. You, you did one with Sheridan Smith as well. Yeah, yeah. a big actress. It, it, yeah, it's been, you know, don't get me wrong, <laughs> there's, there's far more I want to do. And I only feel like, as I say, you know, I'm only kind of just starting that, that new chapter. And it, it's funny, buying a farm or becoming farmer as such but you know a part-time farm whatever you want to wasn't part of the plan it was we couldn't move to america they obviously straight after strictly pandemic hits mm. so whatever job opportunities you've got booked in that was a bit of a, a bit of pill to swallow because you think oh and it stops for everyone it mm. all did you know the world came to a thingy and 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 that was like right okay we'll back to the drawing board so i had this massive opportunity and then suddenly the universe said well it's not you know, a straightforward way would be you do that and then boom, you're going to carry doing all these things. Well, you're not quite getting it like that, Kelvin. That's how I felt. It's going to be different. So a only it could only happen to me, a global pandemic. And then, <laughs> you know, but that for me was a great time to be, to be present, like everyone, you know, oh, yeah. to be present with my family and what mattered most. And then it was like, right, what are we going to do now? We can't go to America. The visa situation had kind of been, been put on pause. We knew they wanted to do something different. We wanted to kind of step in and just be, a new way of life and just do to do something different. Still act, still all, have all our businesses and do all that. But as a family, we wanted to relocate. And we looked at London, we looked in Scotland, we looked in Wales. I've got an obsession with Right Move. Like people have an obsession with, with Instagram. I have it with Right Move. What, checking different properties? Just always love property and always had many properties, residential, commercials. But And I always like to just look at properties and just to kind of see what they're going for, what the what's the square foot fetch in, in that area, in that district, at that sort of property and all these sort of things. And... I think I was on to, down to London one day on the train and I went through, kind of passing through Macclesfield and, and that sort of area. And I was looking on the right move so, up and saw a farm in the Peak District. I was like, we'll view that. And it's like, we're not moving to a farm. 
So no, but we'll view it, you know. And the thought of being in the middle of nowhere, because again, going back to Emmerdale, I used to do those scenes and, and there's six o'clock in the morning, you'd be there, the mist, and it just, that silence, the birds singing, I used to think, what a life this would be. And I'll always say it, when the weather's good in this country, there's no better place in the world. I agree. There's I no agree. better place in the world. And I was thinking to myself, it'd be great to have a little place, have a little motocross track, have my kids playing, and just have that little, you know, I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, a lovely big swimming pool would be great, but it's not for me. I just want a nice warm house and just a big barn full of toys and cars and stuff like that. That's all I wanted. And then, and that's all I used to think about as a kid. And then suddenly, yeah, for whatever reason, I'm starting, I'm going viewing a farm and I'm thinking, this could be that place I always used to dream about. And yeah, and it kind of went from there um, with no aspirations for it to be a farmer, to get any animals or anything like that. It was just, this is where we're going to potentially live. And that was obviously through the lockdown. So that process was a little bit challenging. So we'd move from Oldham in living on a suburb to suddenly moving into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Just trying to draw the parallel from moving to California. Oh yeah. To moving to a farm. Wow. And you know what? So Liz, obviously your wife, uh, who I love by the way, she must be as crazy as you. Like in terms of, liking that challenge and coming out or, or just she just go along with your no, kind she of text some persuading she, <laughs> i know i know how crazy i can be anything's possible in my eyes absolutely and that's all i've been brought up to ever believe so it's funny we didn't sit at the table having dinner only ever once on a, on a christmas day every other time i'd sit and have tea on my knee now that's not good i don't practice that with my family now because i knew back then looking back that's not good family etiquette of all everyone's got business work school come together as a family, hopefully a, a consistent time mm. and just talk. No TV and just be together mm. and have tea on the table. That was something that Liz's family and other families used to do. And I used to envy because I never had that with my family. Mm. But what my parents did do is maybe what they lacked in etiquette like that is of just love and support. And the belief is that Kelvin, you can literally go and do and be anything you want. And I, I guess every parent says that, but fundamentally I, I believed it and I still do to this day. I can't go and be a professional footballer. But part of me is naive enough to think, well, it, maybe if I tried it, I probably could have been. Well, let's give an example then. I know, <laughs> I know we're jumping from one thing to the next here, but we have to because your story is so crazy. But you are like a, a champion. I don't quote me on the actual specifics of what style of racing, but you are some kind of champion rally car driver as well, right? Didn't you just win a big race with McLaren? Yeah, we, 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 won, uh, we won a race with McLaren earlier this year, yeah. Um, racing, that was another thing that kind of became... <laughs> Is anyone, anyone confused there how, how this is all happening? Well, yeah, I'll tell you what it is. It's a jack of all, master of none. That, that's, but you that, are actually, you, you're winning things. You're winning strictly, you're winning races. Yeah, I started racing as it became a bit, it was a hobby and that suddenly started, it became quite serious. And I'm I, always, now, I always remember that when we used to go go-karting as lads, you, it was, you always won and um, you always beat Ryan. So there was always that element, you had something in your locker yeah, yeah. from a young age. It was just something I enjoyed and, and I started doing it and then it became quite serious and I, I, I saw an opportunity in a, in a monetary sense in a business sense and um, I'd gone from my first year at what would be deemed as an expensive hobby and going paying to race uh, and at that level it was an absolute grassroots racing it was probably I don't know I'd bought a, buy a car for five grand I probably spent five grand in the year so ten grand it had cost me you know to go racing for that year and I've got friends who pay that for hol lads holidays or mm. um, you know golf memberships whatever it is I could afford that and that was my limit I was happy to do that and then since then, you know, I've I've done some racing campaigns where I've raised in excess of four four hundred k, you know, um, and and so I knew that as a person with inexperience in racing, I'm not, I wasn't the quickest, I wasn't a professional racing driver as such, but I knew I had kudos and I knew that I was I was quick and I'd have spotlight on me because naturally my day job, so I knew I could maximize that and and create attention and get sponsors far easier than other racing drivers could. Mm. So that was kind of the and from that first path from that day on. I'd never put my hand in my pocket once to go racing. And Just, I've raced, you know, raced in McLaren this year, raced in arguably the biggest GT series we've got in the country. One, been successful at it. I've won a championship in GT4. You know, I was a prom champion. So I, I've raced in touring cars, something that I used to watch as a kid. You know, and it's funny, it's, I was racing touring cars two years after passing my, that's like going playing a Premier League game two years after starting playing football. You know, that was the kind of level. Wow. Uh, and yeah, I wasn't the fact I didn't win. Out of a field of 30, I think my best finish was like 17th. So I was mostly at the back and being a second, two seconds off the pace off the likes of Jason Plato. But I was like, I'm happy with that. I only passed my driving racing test two years ago. But yet the, the racing fan base wanted, oh, he's terrible. 
They hate it. You can't be good at acting. Just pop up out of nowhere. And then be good at racing. We're not yeah. having that. You've got to be bad at you. They can't wait for you to fail at something. Wow. The the racing fans thought I was a failure at British touring cars, but in my looking back, I was a huge success. I was doing I was living out a boiled dream. I could probably count on one hand how many racing drivers the likes of Plato or Garden Shedden, who actually made money racing touring cars. Oh, I love it, man. So literally, dancing, racing. But let's talk about the acting though, because you have broke down all barriers in terms of, I know for any actor to appear on the, in the National Theatre, that's some serious kudos. That's like real, a real credible milestone in any actor's career. Mm. And I know you were very proud about that because I saw you documenting it and you, you said it was almost like a pinch me moment. I don't really ever see you talk as often about something being as a pinch me moment, but I remember on socials you were saying like, I can't believe I'm here, I'm doing that. Like, how did that feel for you? Was it a little bit of like a fingers up to the industry saying, I've done it. Did it feel like that? Yeah, I, I think so in some respects. I mean, I don't feel like I'm representing soul actors in any way, no. you know, but for me personally, it was a huge moment of mm. huge significance and something that I'm very, very proud of to perform at the National Theatre on the Olivier stage in their biggest show of the year. And what was it called, the show? Jack Absolute Flies Again. So it's set in 1940s in the Battle of Britain, a farcical comedy. So it was a real uplifting, feel-good show. Normally you go to the National Theatre and you're watching some Shakespeare or something. You know, it's all very, it's taxing on your mind. Mm. You go in there, it's a workout. And that show was the opposite. Anybody, people who went to that show had never been to the theatre before and they loved it. And that was kind of testament to what, what that was. It was an easy watch. It was funny. It was hilarious. It was it was informative. It was tragic at times. It was a, a real true story. You know, it wasn't a true story, but... It was at a time of the, the Battle of Britain. So the, I, I was playing an RAF mechanic and the RAF pilots back then, their life expectancy was like two to three weeks. So you've got young men, young boys at 20, 21 years old flying these aircraft against the, you know, the, the oh. enemy in World War II. And there's a good chance they're not going to come down. Mm. So suddenly you realise, yeah, we're doing a comedy. But this was, this was real back then. Mm. For this, people were living this. My grandparents were living that life, not necessarily as pilots, but on the ground or whatever it is. So war you know, kind of does that. So as an actor, it was, a, it was a great challenge. But as an audience, it was a great show to, to watch and be a part of and a quite easy, easy watch at that. So yeah, huge milestone for me. And hopefully it was another example where I could break down a few barriers and kind of say, you know, I can do this as well. And, and that was a comedy. That was in an area where I wanted to kind of go in more often. And I've had quite a few you know, comedy interests and comedy opportunities come on, on the back of that. So, uh, you know, it's... Uh, another um, another string to your bow. And this is why I wanted Kelvin on because I'm still trying to understand how he's appeared on TV dramas, doing the National Theatre, racing cars, building farms, and then also your family. So you and you just had two twin boys. Yeah, yeah. And you've got four kids now yeah. and a, a beautiful wife, Liz. How are you balancing all of these things? Like, that's what I want to, because every time someone asks me about happiness, I always say it comes down to balance. Yeah. I'm not feeling sure. Like when you came in today, you said, how are you? And I'll be honest, right now, my balance is out of, mm. it's out of, out of control in a way. So I need to get back on top of it. Like, how do you balance that? And, and also talk to me about being a family man. Well, twins, something I've visualized. Really? Not of late, but from being a kid, it's something I always love. I always fascinated by the concept of twins. But that brotherhood, mm. sisterhood, you know, that, that closest, that bond, yeah. that unique. And, and I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to know quite a few sets of twins, you know, yourself included. And just been an absolute- And Elliot and Luke as well, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The twins, yeah. Um, obviously with, with, with Elliot, yeah. with, with Luke, so should I say. And, uh, and the Burgess twins as well. So there's so many kind of- Of course, of, yeah. So many twins in your life. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's um, just been, and I've always thought to myself, I'd love to have twins. And, and I really always felt an inkling that I had a- I was drawn to twins and I felt there was a reason for it, you know. So when we're on that 12-week scan, me and Liz are there and it's third time, you know, your third pregnancy and any parents out there. And uh, it's funny walking in to get the scan that day and it's all of it, you know, first time you're excited, what, you know, second time is third time you're like, yes, yeah, what are we doing? You're just chatting like normally you're going in to get a scan. And then we got told that we're having twins. It was, I've never, ever felt joy and such happiness like it in that moment. It was absolute just heaven it was just unbelievable that you're having twins it was just a, a gift of god you know a gift from god and i just felt it just amazing and, and you know don't get me wrong it's been really tough anyone you know with four young kids it's and a farm 
and trying it as an actor and trying all these little things and trying to be a good friend and husband. And, you know, there's a lot of friends. My friendships, it was funny, friendships have kind of been the one of the things that have, that's been massively compromised this past year or so, two years. And I actually said to a friend the other day, we need to get together because I've, you know, and he said, Kelvin, cut yourself a bit of slack here. You've just had twins, you know, you've got a lot going on. And I was like, yeah, but that's no excuse, you know, because friendship for me is is fundamental to who I am. And 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 that's, I guess, I said this in my wedding speech, my probably biggest asset and my thing I'm most proud of outside mm. of my family is my friendship groups mm. and the friendships I have and the people that I consider friends, the people they are, mm. are an absolute credit to me. So yeah, to, to feel that, that, that that's been compromised, you know, hurts a little bit really. So yeah, managing twins is, has been tough, but you know, massively blessed, four young kids, it's chaos <laughs> this morning. Wear the sock, you know, it's just, that, that's the normality that people probably don't see. And, you know, and I get things wrong as a young parent, you know, we're trying, the minute we can't get them into a sleeping pattern, it's challenging. And it's another challenge that you have to embrace and learn in all the ways. So things do feel a little bit chaotic at the minute, but, you know, as I say, yes, I'm an ambitious actor and now with a farm, I want to, you know, first and foremost, I wanted to create a new lifestyle for my kids and, and live a little bit more balanced life, mm. you know, to have that absolute stillness, that that ability to be on our own, in our own little world, mm. when all the nonsense is going on. And I can go to London and chase my dreams and my ambitions, and Liz can go and chase her ambitions and dreams, and we want to make money, or we want to do this. And the one thing is most important, and my hub, my calling as a dad, I know that's my the best job I've mm. got, the most rewarding job I've got, and it's the job that I'm most proud of. Mm. And I can tell you're going to be an amazing dad, because you've always had, like I said, that sort of caring mentality and... You always used to put an arm around my shoulder as a young lad growing up. And, and I think your kids are so lucky to have you as a dad. And I think one of the biggest lessons that I'm going to take from today's podcast from you is the power of visualization, manifestation. It seems like all through your life, you've kind of known kind of where you're going to end up and believed in yourself in order to get there. And I think that's such an important message to put across because if you don't believe in yourself and you don't believe you have what it takes, then how are you expected to get there? And I think you've always backed yourself fully and that really shines through. I knew your story was going to inspire me and it's also going to inspire so many other people as well. And I just think you're doing an amazing job and you are just a good person with a big heart and that just shines through in everything that you do. Uh, and I'm very proud of you. And yeah, I just want to say thank you to, for being on my podcast. I've loved every minute. Thank you, Scott. You're the man. You, got, you got me, uh, me chilled <laughs> Oh, honestly, I just loved catching up with Kelvin. His life and his achievements fascinates me. He just seems to be such an all-rounded individual who's managed to achieve successes in different sectors in life, from farming to racing cars to acting. He really has achieved so much. And if you haven't listened to the episode with Richard Fleishman, which we talked about at the start, please go back and have a little listen. But one of the biggest life lessons I took from that podcast with Kelvin is just the power of visualization and manifestation and believing in yourself because he has that in bucket loads. He just believes in himself so much. So if you believe in yourself, anything is possible. But thank you for listening. Please continue to rate, review and follow the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And please drop me a DM on Instagram at scott.thomas and let me know any of your takeaways from the pod. Until then, see you soon.